Hi, everyone. This is James and Annalie from Animalia. We are an organization set up to connect wildlife enthusiasts with conservation. This is our very first podcast that is a companion piece to our newsletter. And Annalie, what are we talking about today? Today, we'll be discussing a lot of the silver lining with everything that's happening in terms of COVID-19 and the quarantines. So by silver lining, I believe we're talking about some of the reemergence of nature and some of the dips in pollution from people living in the quarantine state globally, correct? That's right. So some other examples of where we talk about this silver lining uh, is the pollution levels in China. I don't know if you've seen any of this, but um, some examples I can give uh, from February 3rd to March 1st. Uh, carbon dioxide emissions uh, were down 25% in China compared to this, the year before. Um, good quality air in the month of February uh, increased 22% compared to last year. And um, there are actually some satellite imagery of nitrogen dioxide, which is another greenhouse gas. I think carbon gets all of the sort of uh, coverage on greenhouse gases, but there are other greenhouse gases that heat our planet and uh, nitrogen dioxide is another one and nitrogen dioxide levels have in the um, troposphere have also really dropped dramatically. Right. I'm looking at some of those graphics that we'll definitely share. Um, and it's remarkable to see, I guess, how clear, how much of that pollution is just dissipating because people are just staying home or just not using cars as much, et cetera. Yeah, in Wuhan, which is a city in China where this outbreak originally started, <clears throat> they've had a species of birds return that they haven't had in decades. And there's been more green than ever before. And now that Wuhan has more or less gotten its, its you know, has gotten the situation more under control, um, yeah, there's actually a lot of images on Weibo, which is sort of the Chinese version of Twitter, WeChat, and then even on Twitter, uh, because some people in, in China do uh, share um, to uh, to Western platforms uh, amazing images of the greenery and the birds and and blue skies that Wuhan has has not seen in a long time. For people that don't know much about Wuhan, Wuhan is sort of like the Detroit of China. It's a very industrial city, a lot of car manufacturers, a lot of just factories. So Wuhan is typically one of the more polluted cities in China. Uh, very, very industrious. So Wuhan is seeing wildlife and green and nature like they haven't seen ever before. And it's actually creating a lot of joy and happiness for people that for the last two months have been living in misery. Mm -hmm. And it's also, I think, shows the sort of the joyful nature of the joy, the joyful, I guess, nature of nature, uh, but sort of the people still feel connected to the natural world when they're when they're put in it. Right. I was looking at some studies um, that, that looked at other outbreaks in the past in China. And for example, in the 14th century, when the Black Death outbreak happened, the, the air became lead free for the first time in like decades because all of the plants and all the metal production facilities were closed. And I guess in a similar way, like, a lot of the factories or as, as you're saying, it's like a production city, you know, 
they're relaxing on those, giving the environment a chance to like thrive again. Yeah, it certainly makes you wonder if we were more radical in our shift to renewables and back to nuclear, which podcast for another time, but there, you know, there is no way to provide energy for seven plus billion people today with renewables. But if we add a nuclear as an alternative to fossil fuels, we probably, we, we probably could, Uh, but it does make you wonder if we, if we radically made that change, what our, our world would look like and potentially this sort of just joy and peace that would come with people living amongst amongst nature more in their daily lives uh, versus the sort of just heavily urbanized thick sky, you know, just kind of busy nature that we we've grown accustomed yeah, to. Yeah. I think coexisting is essentially the goal. It'd be nice to yeah. get to that. Absolutely. Um, there, I saw, I read another interesting study about how, this is from a professor named Marshall Burke at Stanford. And he estimates that actually in China, uh, coronavirus has killed a little over 3,200 people. But he estimates in that same time, 50 to 70,000 lives have actually been saved from premature death due to improved air quality. So he's actually estimating that COVID-19, he's not, he's being careful not to say that COVID-19 is a good thing or he's not saying that at right. all. He's more he's more trying to say that the normal way we live has massive hidden healthcare costs that we don't talk about. Mm-hmm. And in this case it's the poor air quality which leads to a lot of respiratory issues for Chinese people that uh, are not they're not dealing with right now because of coronavirus quarantines. And and in some ways it might even the the people that would have issues from the air pollution may outnumber the people that are having issues from coronavirus mm. uh, from a fatality mm. standpoint. And again, he's not saying, you know, coronavirus is a good thing or he's not, he's very careful. He's, he's just saying that the way we normally live our lives in a you know, no quarantine world has all these hidden healthcare issues and, and human uh, issues that we don't always talk about or see. Definitely. Wow. That's yeah. so interesting yeah so i guess this and there's also the last i guess the last example of of this is some of the coastal beaches that are normally very occupied with tourists and travelers Mm -hmm. uh this is this is sort of we're getting into peak spring break time uh this time of year uh you know are also not seeing the the garbage and the um you know just the human waste that they normally have to go through and that floats into the oceans. We all know sort of the issue of trash and plastics in our oceans, which is definitely a, a topic for another podcast sometime. But, uh, you know, the, we're all seeing dips in that as well, which is these are all temporarily reliefs. And we'll get into in this podcast, how do we make these long lasting? But it's another example of how there, there's a bit of a silver lining for nature and climate um, in the situation we're in. Definitely, especially as you're saying, like, the reckless spring breakers. It's so interesting how it's happening at this exact season. Um, but I guess it, it's happening for a reason. Yeah, so I guess that's a segue into sort of the next topic is kind of what 
what can we learn from this and what is nature trying to tell us? And I've thought, I've been thinking about this question a lot. Obviously I'm someone who adores nature and the natural world. I spend time camping every year. Um, And yeah, it's just something that is very close to me. And I know not everybody gets as close to nature and some people get to spend even more time in nature than I do. But it does beg the question of what, what we can learn from this or what the, the natural world is telling us. Nature is telling us, Hey, we, I've always, we've always been here and we can live symbiotically together and we'll have richer, happier lives. If we do that, there's a, there's a plethora of amazing life and beauty in the natural world that I think we as, you know, heavily civilized and urbanized human beings have completely lost touch with yes. and the rat race that we've created for economic growth and, and competition and nature is trying to say there's this world of beauty that you can never create in any virtual environment right. that that is still here i don't know how much longer we're going to be here but we're still here and we're using this opportunity to raise our hand, to poke our heads out of the sand and remind you of that. That to me is kind of what the message is. Absolutely. I, I saw this um, thread on Twitter a couple of days ago where people were, you know, using that hashtag, like we are the virus. And then someone retweeted it and just kind of brought to the attention, like, you know, people, I guess in this like capitalistic, as you're saying, like, grind culture of living in these cities separated from nature like we have put nature kind of aside but it is so possible if we just look at like indigenous people and the way that they are able to coexist with nature um continuously for decades and i think yeah we should be taking lessons from them in a sense yeah so that's super interesting so i guess we can drive how much time, I'm just going to ask you, how much time a year do you think right now you spend in the natural world or outside of pure human concrete jungles? Wow. I want to say like in totality, probably less than like 10 days a year, sadly. And is that? Is that something where do you do you consciously think of that, or is that like the first time you've had? That no, problem? I actually definitely think about that often, just because when I am like extremely stressed out or just want to disconnect, you know, I'm blessed enough to live in Los Angeles, so where we do have nature surrounding us. But I think a lot of it does also have to do with like people's upbringings, and I was never really brought up to indulge in nature um and I think that that kind of does affect like the relationship that I have with it now like even like now that I live in a city where nature is closer to me like I have adopted such a love for like hikes and nature walks etc but it definitely was something I had to like work towards because it wasn't it wasn't a norm for me what about you? Yeah. So I try to do 
I would say at least one camping trip a year in usually in either Northern California or Montana, obviously with my, my favorite sidekick, Nala. <laughs> and I was, I get to Laos uh, for the elephant work at least a couple times a year. And that's, there's some time in Luang Prabang, which is a very small city, but a lot of time is at the property with the elephants um, in their natural habitat. So it's at least two weeks a year. And then, you know, Nala and I hike at least once a week together. So, you know, if you add up those hours, I would say right now, I maybe, maybe 25 yeah. days a year. Although, you know, I, I wish there was more. So should we dive into some of the, like the topic of how do we keep, you know, these wildlife, nature, um, thriving once things do you know fingers crossed calm down and we do kind of navigate back into quote unquote normal life yeah absolutely so i'll give people a little bit of a history lesson first here um folks listening probably remember the 2008 recession which was really hard um you know in a lot of ways and equally hard for Mm -hmm. a lot of people and china uh, as an example, to sort of stimulate their economy coming out of that recession, had a $586 billion stimulus package to kickstart the economy. And that that didn't have any environmental regulations tied to it. So it was just getting money back into, you know, traditional fossil fuels, airlines, uh, manufacturing, all the things that, you know, drive the Chinese economy. I don't fault them for that because you need to kickstart the economy. People need jobs. People need to live. But because they did it sort of without any eye towards the environment, it what it resulted in was 2012 and 13 were the worst years in air pollution in Chinese history. And I, they actually have a term for it in China. I, I'm drawing a blank on it, but it's it's there's a term for how bad the air quality of air got and then president xi jinping had to exact an order right at like in 2013 to restrict some fossil fuel usage um and 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 now like in cities like beijing they actually alternate days or weeks where they're burning coal whether or not uh in order to sort of have some balance back but it was it was really just this rush back into spending and growth without eyes towards the environment. And then they had to make a lot of changes just three years later to fix those mistakes. And they're still dealing with that. So that's a little bit of lesson as a flip side, you know, one of the things, one of the good things Obama did in 2009 is when he gave stimulus packages to Chrysler and GM um, to kickstart them again, because they really suffered in that recession uh, in a big way. And and they, they employ a lot of Americans. He put emissions caps into that deal. And look, it's not, I'm not saying that by itself solves everything. And, and, you know, you can debate that he could have done more. We could have done more. This isn't, you know, sort of, um, I'm just, just pointing out that he did put those in those packages. And, and I think it's going to be important in order to make sure that this drop in pollution reemerges in nature, isn't just a temporary thing that we enjoy for six months and disappears when we do normalize society when we do we do get out in front of the coronavirus 
and and undoubtedly we're going to create stimulus packages to kickstart the economy. Right. It's going to happen. I really hope that you know emissions caps and environmental rules get put into that. And there's actually one of the issues going on Capitol Hill right now is Democrats are trying to push for these uh, kind of requirements, contingencies to be put in stimulus packages for airlines and cruise lines, which are really suffering right now. And as you can imagine, Republican senators and especially President Trump are not that interested in it. And the worry I have is for the U.S. level, it's going to be about the timing. If this coronavirus is normalized, society is normalized prior to the election, I don't Trump to me is just going to try to kickstart the economy in any way he can, regardless of long-term effects, because he knows that is his platform for winning re-election. And, you know, I think regardless of what you think about Donald Trump, I think even his support, like everyone can agree that he wants to get (laughs) reelected and uh, that's his real main priority above all else. And, and versus if the coronavirus extends past the reelection, he, he may not get reelected. And, and then if there's a democratic change of power, then these things get in. And, and, and so I've been battling with this internally because on one hand, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll raise my hand. Like I'm, I'm just so everybody knows um, I lean more liberal, but I actually, I actually traditionally lean more conservative fiscally and more Republican fiscally and very liberal socially on social issues. That's always, so I, I would call myself a moderate in that regard, but it's really hard to identify with parties anymore because of the radicalism of parties now. And sort of, I, I like to not even think of myself in any party anymore because it's just so extreme all the time. But, um, but I'm just raising my hand so people know where I stand. And uh, I've been torn because on one hand, I, I want to make sure these caps get put in into any stimulus package back into the economy, but I don't want people to suffer for a prolonged period like they are right now i can't imagine you know quarantine going on for six to eight months and, and the damages from that and so I'm, I'm like torn between not wanting short-term suffering for people and displaced workers but not wanting long-term damages back to the environment and climate from you know stimulus packages that would be represented by the republican party and it's a bit Absolutely. of a quandary for me definitely a dilemma i mean i think that this, the idea of putting those caps in, um, especially as you're saying for airlines and cruise lines, there's always things that they can do that because there's like their competitors aren't necessarily doing them, you know, they're not paying attention to them or it's not a pressing matter. But I really hope that with, you know, more emergence of nature, we learn to kind of appreciate it more and advocate for it more because that's essentially the one thing that we need to do in order to get like these policies in place. Like there needs to be also a push from the people. Yeah. I've I've heard a lot of people tell me recently that they really hope the situation is a wake up call for everyone around how, not, not just how we treat each other and treating each other with more mutual respect and empathy, but also how we treat the natural world. Um, you know, this, this virus for folks that don't know, likely started right. with wildlife poaching. That is the, uh, you know, sort of the working theory from the scientific community, whether it was a, you know, 
pangolin or not is still being debated. And um, we're going to talk more about that in Animalia soon. But um, this thing started with the exploitation yeah. of the natural world. And, and most pandemics have. The swine flu, uh, MERS, SARS, they all started uh, in most cases with the trafficking or the sort of mishandling of, of mm-hmm. animals or livestock um, for, for sheer volume and economic gain. And I'm not sitting here saying that, you know, we need to shut everything down that, you know, shut the whole livestock industry down. I understand that this has to gradually transition over time. And there's people that depend on it for survival, um, jobs, income, all those things. I'm, I, I get that, even though I, I live more of an extreme life as a vegan and environmentalist, I understand the realities of that change yeah. and it's going to happen over decades. However, I also you know, worry that even if we recognize this is a wake up call for how we treat the natural world, we're just going to be so rushed to spur the economy again, to get growth again. And we're going to, you know, find ourselves in a similar situation of China in 2009, 2013, or a few years from now, we're going to be like, oh crap, we've actually caused more damage to the environment. We put more carbon, more nitrous dioxide in the environment because we just wanted to get things normalized so quickly and we didn't think, you know, two or three steps ahead. And look, I, I have no problem saying this current president of the United States typically does not think two or three steps ahead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everything in terms of, of these like environmental plans, like it needs to be, you know, chess, not checkers, as you're kind of saying here. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I, I guess for everyone listening, there's also changes everyone can make. Um, and, you know, there's, there's sort of three levels of ultimately saving our climate and, and, and saving the natural world and protecting wildlife and species and all the things that um, are really, really important. And that's the regulatory level, the private corporation level and the individual behavior level. Yes. And most of us, are not going to be affecting levels one and two, right? Most of us are not government leaders. Most of us are not heads of massive corporations. Mm-hmm. And and we can lobby, we can write notes to the leaders. We could stop using Amazon if we think their policies are not friendly, but it's not really going to affect Amazon that much. And, 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 and a company like Amazon is so interwoven in our lives that it's hard to avoid it. Um, but we can make changes on the individual level, mm-hmm. right? We... We can all start to think about our energy usage. We can all try to shift, um, you know, to more renewable usage. We can all, you know, think about the things we're eating and 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 just slow, slow changes over time. There, we can all use less plastic. Um, there are definitely things that we can all do. And I often hear people say, "Well, I'm just one person, so I'm I'm not going to make a difference." But that's the wrong mindset because it's sort of every person that makes changes will influence at least one other. Absolutely. I guarantee you, if you make the changes, you will influence one other person um, in some way, shape or form. And there is a domino effect to that that might take time, but it will happen if everyone takes the mentality of if I make changes, one other person will. And that is success. That's all it takes. If everyone thought that way, 
we would we would get out right and, and i mean even during COVID-19, one of the things that it's taught i guess me like my community is to stop thinking in that individualistic mindset and consider you know everything we do does affect everybody and the interconnectedness of it all so yeah as you're saying start with small steps and they will call you yeah and you'll feel better honestly like you'll when you make these changes you end up feeling better too about yourself um and and yeah so i guess we can wrap things up there this is already longer than we had planned <laughs> so, yeah i think it went well yeah and this is we'll try to do these every one or two weeks going forward um again our newsletter will still come out every friday you can always also support the conservations we work with through buying any of the apparel um all the apparel is made of recycled material we share proceeds with our conservation partners with everything there and uh that's sort of the best way to support us and support them but you also hopefully just enjoy enjoy some of the content we know we know a lot of folks uh are getting getting some pleasure out of it so yeah, yeah. thank you guys for joining us Thank <whistles> you.